Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 174 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you Angel Leek and John Luna, podcasters. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting in the studio way across the country is the lovely Angelique Luna. How are you tonight? Fantastic. And yourself? I'm very good. You know, she sounds like she's in a studio. Well, of course I am. I'm here with my uh, wonderful husband, who's also my tech guy and audio recorder. (laughs) Hello, everyone. John C. Luna here. And they have a podcast. Living a sex positive life there, where we talk about everything, anything about sex, the good, the bad, the ugly. So you're a sex coach, educator, and entertainer. Yes, I like to combine all three to get the message that sex is not a bad thing, that you could live a sex positive life, because um, oftentimes it's very taboo, the subject, and especially with my journey into this, um, I'm actually raising a uh, sexual abuse child survivor, and so I found out there was a lot of positive resources for her, but not so much for a sex-positive parent. So that's why I started going down the rabbit hole and learning as much as possible and then educating others. But at the same time, the way to keep the information is to be entertained. Well, you know, entertainment kind of opens the mind and lets you think about things. People can uh, listen to lectures all day long and probably not pick up a lot, but make it entertaining. Yeah, I think, uh, John, you can relate to that since you're a teacher and sometimes you put your students to sleep with your (laughs) topics, but yet when it comes to sex, wow. (laughs) Yeah, they're right on the edge of the chair. Yeah, especially in today's, what is it, SoundBit society, if you don't get their attention quick, the content kind of fades. So we do a a job as we can to combine um, both the serious resources, because we do cover, like we said, um, the serious topics uh, along with the fun topics and try to put it in a way, and package it nicely is the best way to put it, right? Yeah, but we also like to give them the shock value and also offend as much as possible because then they're like, oh, uh, then they talk about it. I wouldn't say offend. We just tell it as it is. We don't sugarcoat oh, a lot. Yeah, we don't sugarcoat. You know, you got to wake people up once in a while because they'll sleep through it. So, John, what ages are you educating? Um, I actually teach at the college level. I teach uh, uh, in computer science, mm-hmm. so very technical stuff. And um, I teach classes in both the beginning and the end of the degree. And, you know, by the end of a degree, when someone's getting ready to graduate, they'll do anything to graduate. They are on their seat. They're paying attention. They know everything. The first couple months when they're that 18, 19, yeah, they're more, they're more thinking about Friday night than anything you have to say in class. Finding a date. Yeah. So, by the, of course, by the time they get to college, their sex life has uh, already been launched and they know everything, right? Oh, of course. Just Find me an 18-year-old that doesn't know the entire world. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. They know how to pleasure everybody at the right time and wonder why sex can't last more than five minutes. <laughs> well, it's a nice five minutes for him. 
I don't know. Sometimes as is a girl, I ran into that situation too, that the girls are also like real quick. I was like, what? It's like, how'd you do that? What a waste. What a waste of multiple orgasm. Exactly. Well, I find out, and I'm in my mid-40s now, it's about every four or five years that I sit down for a moment and go, you know, if I knew now what I knew five years ago, things would be completely different. And that just has reoccurred about every four or five years. I want to go back to when I was 20. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take what I know today, go back to when I'm 20. The world will be different, I guarantee it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, especially with Pennywise magazines back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm dating myself there. Uh, Yeah, well, some of us go further back than that. Uh, Oh, what was pre-Pennywise? Please do tell. Uh, oh, if Beast were here, he could tell you the name. Of, he used to uh, write in the back of the magazine and, you know, send the self-addressed stamped envelope off and it would come back three months later. Ultra slow, snail mail, kinky dating. It's crazy. I did that for a while, but I found that the um, instant gratification didn't uh, exist. However, back when Bondage.com came out back in uh, the mid-90s, they had my attention because I could go out and search and find people and and ask them if they uh, wanted to play BDSM, and they said yes. Woo, well, that was a change. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> I know, this is back in the days when the clubs were in the big cities, but, you know, outside of the, the New York, Chicago, L.A. stuff, I'm not sure, that, I mean, how much was out there and how did you find it? You know, it was out there... Certainly by the time you got to the 90s, it was out there. It was underground to a large degree, and you had to have the magic key to find it. But once you did, there was some pretty good scene out there. And we've interviewed people on the cast that go back into the 60s, and they talk about the uh, gay leather scene and, as they call it, the non-consensual bike bars of New York. And, And it was pretty scary times. And, you know, we've evolved uh, from there to the point where consent counts. What a concept. Oh, I know that part. It's like nowadays we kind of really emphasize consent and make sure that people understand what is considered consent, what is not. You know, just because a person passed out doesn't mean they gave you consent or if they're drunk doesn't <laughs> give you consent. I mean, yeah, if you can't say no, it's it's all good. Exactly. I was like, no, that's not what it is. But even the uh, perception of BDSM, it's like they see Fifty Shades of Grey and they're just like, that's what it is. And I'm like, no, that's not what it all is. There's more to it. Exactly. Recently, we we had uh, Dr. Brad on and he's a BDSM researcher up at Northern Illinois University. And he talked about the affirmative consent And it's not a matter that I didn't say no. It's the matter that I actually said yes. Nice. And so that's getting really important now. And as, you know, we work our way through dating new people, it's, uh, well, she didn't say no. Uh, Nope, that ain't it. A couple years ago, it wasn't going that far back, there was a movie that came out on uh, Kinsey and his first research on doing that, and they had uh, obviously it, it was you know a movie. It wasn't the actual interviews, but they had interviews with several of the couples from the you know the forties and fifties. And I just love the scene where um, uh, he asks a couple, uh, "So how many positions do you engage in?" And she gets a surprised look on her face and goes, "There's more than one." <laughs> yeah, really. And, and again, it's it's the limited knowledge from back then of if you didn't have the people to talk to, and I mean physically talk to. 
as friends, you didn't get that information. Nowadays, it is so easy to go out. Again, our, our podcast, we do everything from starting, you know, getting into a lifestyle, whether it's poly, what to expect, whether it's swinger, what to expect, or starting BDSM, you know, do your research first before you go out there. And the research is so easy to find, but we take all this for granted now. I, I can't imagine saying I want to get into the BDSM lifestyle when all I've seen would be eight millimeter films and no, almost no one in there. That, that, that kind of paints a completely different picture of the way it used to be. There were fuck films at best. There was no real content to them other than getting it on. And, you know, we talk about everything from planning a scene, building um, the moment, uh, the tease, the run-up, all that stuff. And there was none back then. It was just, uh, here's an eight-minute film. Let's see what we can get done. Yeah, but I also take it a little bit further dealing with parents and telling them it's never too early to teach their kids about sex education. It doesn't have to mean the physical action, but telling them about consent, feelings, um, even the proper scientific you know, autonomy of vagina and penis just to help them protect them from, you know, any sexual abuse from anywhere from parents to stranger danger to other, you know, trusted friends, you know, just to give them more information and empower them. But even that, sometimes I run into parents, it's like, they don't need to know about sex. No, no, no. I'm like, how can they make an informative decision if they want to make sex or, you know, STDs, condoms, pregnancies, because there is the, you know, information out there and scientific data that comprehensive sex education area schools have the far less STDs, um, abortions, pregnancies, that. So it's just a matter of getting, educating people from all different angles, you know, from parenting to individuals. Back a few um, months ago, I, I guess it might even uh, be longer than that, back in episode number 127, we had uh, Emmy Kanahuati on, and she talks about sex-positive childhood sexuality and uh, brought up some really good books. And it's, it starts as you know very young to where you can bring your children up and, and you call body parts by their correct name instead of their euphemisms that I think we were all raised with. Ugh, the butterfly, the flower. I'm like, what? Are you yeah, the flowers about? in the garden and the uh, butterflies in on, on the flower. But you know, my mother always had a collection of uh, of interesting names, and I always had to guess what she was talking about. But to really have the children learn the proper names of things, and she recommended some very good books to read, which is excellent: raising um, sexually healthy children. And uh, sex-positive parenting uh, are some of them. So things like that are really a great asset to um, bringing up people that aren't sexually broken. Yeah, that's why they come to us now afterwards when they're sexually broken. We're like, uh, okay, let's start from the beginning. It's okay to make yourself happy. You come number one. Find how to make yourself happy. Masturbation is good. It's not God's hand evil. Oh, boy, you got a lot of undoing there, huh? Well, Welcome to the Bible Belt. <laughs> yes. I, I want to chime in with one story here. Several years ago, I was in a room. We were all talking about how we found out about sex. And, of course, lots of people had the, uh, you know, our parents had a very confusing talk with us. There's the group that said, well, I learned it from school. Another group said I learned it from, you know, uh, videos. Again, we're talking probably in the 90s, talking about uh, when we were kids in the 80s, that, that, that age range. And uh, I had one girl 
who turned around and said, well, I grew up on a farm. And my father one day came out and said, I need to teach you something. And he came out and two cows were going at it. And as she put it, it was squishy, loud, and very unpleasant because the one cow really didn't seem like it wanted to participate. And her father looked at her and said, that's as close as I'm getting to the talk. Now you know what sex is. And she was horrified about it for years. Yeah. You know, having it a cow a jump you would not be that much fun. <laughs> Again, it, it isn't even just uh, – when you say educating, it's not about educating the young. It's also about educating the old about how to educate the young because um, right now our, our, our daughter is uh, 16 years old and getting to the age of starting to have sex and being a sexual abuse survivor. And that is a whole complex topic that most people just completely shy away from. Mm -hmm. And we've made it a very open uh, communication of, okay, we're not going to freak out. We want it done right. Talk with us. And we've said this for years, talk with us. But I will say it is that stressful moment when she does talk to you and you're sitting there going, I think I should be freaking out now, but I'm not. We're going to be good. <laughs> well, and that's the, the thing, you know, there, there's that innocence that is in your mind but we all know that any time from about 14 on, it's going to happen. And it's just a matter of, hold on, it's going to be a rough ride. Yes, and that was a reality I had because when we discovered about her abuse, she was eight years old. And when they put me in the parent support group, I basically said, okay, it happened. Let's move on. The reality is that they're going to be in middle school and high school and having sex, and we need to prepare them and to get them emotionally stable and mentally stable for doing that. And they kicked me out as quickly as I got in. <laughs> You use that word that they're going to have sex. Oh, my God. I know. I was like, so where's my support group? I got kicked out from the one I'm supposed to be in. <laughs> and that just shows you how broken society is. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we look at um, the prude American lifestyle. And I lived in Europe for six years. And, and in fact, I came into the scene in Europe and Boy, it was a day and night world of what I see here. Oh, absolutely. In the Netherlands, you know, around Amsterdam, sex is just a way of life. There's red light districts, and these are all professionals that work. They pay taxes. They go home to their husbands, you know, and it's just accepted. Everybody knows that that's the red light district. That's where, you know, you go get sex and you have fun. And then you go home to your partners because you get your rocks off. And that way it keeps rape down because people aren't all sexually wrapped around the axle. No, and even in some Latin American countries, the body is not perceived as sexual. It's something beautiful. It's something natural. I mean, that's why everyone makes fun of, you know, the Mexican commercials with Pepsi. It's like, ah, you know, they're like, it, to us, it's like, oh, my God, it's sexual. To them, it's like, oh, okay, Pepsi, good. You know, it's like. Uh, that area, but it, it is very frustrating how close-minded we are. And I, I like to blame it on religion beliefs because it's a way to control people's happiness. It's definitely a lot of things. Um, one thing I had is I had an employee going back several years who had come over from Brazil. He'd only been here uh, two or three years. And uh, after we got to know each other, we got out for drinks. And I asked him, you know, what do you think of the United States before you came here versus now? And he says, well, before I came here, all of my porn came from the United States. 
He goes, all you know, all the commercials, all the movies with all the sex, and it came from the United States. And then I get here and I find it, it's not that way. You guys, I mean, I he he's like, I talk about it. And people like shied away. I had to stop talking about sex openly, as openly, because it was getting to the wrong crowd. And he goes, it, it was kind of like, uh, in the funny words, hearing out of someone with a thick Brazilian accent was false advertisement. Um, he goes, it's a nice place. I like being here, but it wasn't what I expected, given you guys' reputation. Yeah, it's the Hollywood view of uh, reality. When I first went over to Holland, people asked if everybody acted like Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going, oh, tell me that's not what you think. Oh, no, no, no. That's... Isn't that scary? That's very scary. But here's the funny thing. Okay, let, let's go back to Mary with Children back in the 90s. Remember how scandalous it was what uh, Kelly used to wear back in the 90s? And now that is fashionably acceptable nowadays. And I'm like, no, put some more clothes on. That's not good. And that, and she was considered a, a slut back in the day, yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. By no means would we ever be considered prude. We love going to clothing optional resorts, swinger clubs, VDSM clubs, the whole, the whole bit. We explore it. We love it. But, you know, just driving to work in the morning or as I am a, a teacher – um, I have students who come in and, you know, sit in and they have very short shorts, very low cut tops. And I'm like, OK, you, you, you're hmm, getting a job. This is not job interview stuff. Please, please don't. I, I've had to actually tell some students, please wear a shirt a little bigger. I am in Florida, so obviously it's constantly hot down here. But the classrooms are always freezing, so you had headlight situations going on, too. Oh, guys and girls. Oh, yeah, it's so tough. (laughs) Yes, but, okay, at work, work is work, personal life is personal life, and and, and this stuff. So when I'm at work, I'm usually, you know, I don't wear a tie, but it's buttoned down. It's professional. Even when it's 95 degrees and I have to walk across campus, you, you dress the part. You play the, you know, you play that professional. And kids did not dress like this when I was a kid. You know, I'm all, I'm all for it when they're younger. And I know I'm really sounding old. Yeah. But, but also you busted <laughs> yeah, you your students. Exactly. You busted your students talking about a BDSM club and they like got mortified. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should tell that story. Yeah, that's a yeah, good one. Do tell that story. Okay, so uh, I had a class, and like I said, it is college, so the age ranges will go um, some 18, 19, all the way up to the mid-30s. We get a lot of uh, GI Bill. And um, I had two students, and they're sitting right in front of my desk, right up front. It was only a class of about 20. Uh, It was a Friday, and they're talking about what they're doing tonight. And I'm hearing all of the keywords, so I know they're going to a dungeon. But they're occasionally looking up, looking at me, and I'm just working on my computer, letting them talk the conversation. All the other students have no idea what they're talking about. They're talking about roping and floggers, and everyone's kind of just oblivious to it. And then all of a sudden, I just looked up and decided to say, oh, so you're going, and I named the uh, the local dungeon. I have never seen two boys turn completely white so quickly <laughs> and get so embarrassed. Yeah, because an old person recognized it. I know, I know. No, it's not so much an old person, but the clean-cut, professional, no-nonsense kind of teacher there. So, yeah, he's like night and day. It, it was funny. One of them completely shied away, and the other one shied away in the beginning. And after class is like, so so you're going to be there tonight, right? And I'm like, that's not something I'm going to mix with. There's no way I'm getting you on the St. Andrew's Cross. 
Yeah, that would be a little uh, odd. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I work at a college also, and I uh, look at some of the teachers, and there's one, I swear she's a dominatrix. Just absolute. I could just see her crack the whip. Ah, fantasies. Twelve years of Catholic school, and uh, I several I had those nuns back in the Northeast uh, in the 80s, early 80s, those nuns that had the metal rulers. Some were, some were wood, but... One of them definitely had a medal. I felt that once. And, um, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, there's a fine line between you whipping that, you know, disciplining me, and now what I go look for on a Friday night. (laughs) Yeah, I I think there's probably a a bit of a gap in there. uh, Well, mm. I'm never thinking of Sister Rose while that's going on, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, dress-up night with the the priest and the nuns and uh, all that could be... uh, Weird, just saying. It, it is weird. I'm also amazed at how popular it is. It's popular, and look at all the schoolgirls you see in the dungeon, you know, with their little oh, yeah. plaid skirts and all that. You know, we were talking about um, uh, girls dressing up and going out. Uh, I just got back from dinner tonight, and when I got up um, from the table, a guy and these two girls sit down at the table next to me. And both the girls were good looking, but this one was stunning. I mean, she was about five foot ten, blonde hair down to her waist, and she had a tight tops on that was off her shoulders on both sides with no visible means of support, and she was awesome. You know, I looked like King Lear or something, you know, it's like I I can't take my eyes off of her. And I, I'm controlling myself. I said, Stop it, stop doing that. It's not nice. But she was stunning. And obviously, she was putting on a show for somebody because it happened to be me in that moment. (laughs) But, you know, and and so you see this out in the street. Now, I I can't say I see it that often, but that particular one tonight, it was just turned my head around. Well, we'll run into that um, at our local gym here we go to. The few girls and a few guys Mm -hmm. um, that are models there. Oh, yeah, but there's been a couple of them that I called out. I'm like, oh, my God, I think she's a dominatrix, just the way she's, like, treating that guy. It's like I've called That's either either a really good trainer or a dominatrix, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. No, because I was listening to the conversation. I'm like, oh, she's a dom, and you're like, shut up, stop the knee strapping. But it's so much fun making our own conversations up. Our gym actually has a sign-up of rules, and it's stuff like, you know, don't leave a lot of sweat on the equipment. Please wipe it off. Don't be so, you know, super loud. Uh, keep your music and, you know, regular stuff. And one of them is, you know, please no extended staring. And <laughs> okay. then you get one, a few of those girls will get up there and they're wearing shorts that, you know, you, you swear the shorts are three inches tall and they're wearing a, a tight, tight top. And then they go ahead and get on that escalator stairmaster. So they're up in the air so everyone can see them. And they're walking slow and sweaty about it. And you're sitting there, you know, you're thinking – I'm not going to stare. It's societally impolite to stare. And then you stare a second, and you're like, she is completely putting on a show. She wants to be stared at. <laughs> so what is it? It's that choice. Usually I just pick I'm not going to stare. I'm just going to put my headphones on and not work out. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it can be confusing. <laughs> it is, but that's why we go up going to different events there so we can know that we can, we're allowed to stare and encouraged to stare, you know? Oh, yes. Like our little campground that we went to. <laughs> Campgrounds, dungeons, those are encouraged to stare. Yeah. Okay, let's switch over. Uh, Angelique, what is your take on what John was just talking about when you're at the gym and dressing up or down? I 
don't do that. I just go there as a job to get it focused. And even that, that I see them, you know, dressing up and I'm like, okay, let's see which direction you're trying to flirt with, because that's basically what it is. It's a flirting game. It's an ego thing. And it's like, I guess for me, I'm like, Ugh. I, I, I kind of don't like it because it's a gym. It's not the right environment. Now, if you, if it's like a dungeon, a swing club, or, you know, they have, I'm like, I'm totally game for that. I'm looking at it. I'm watching it, you know, cause that's the right time, right environment. Maybe you could approach and say, Hey, you want to play or, you know, can, can we participate? You know, kind of deal. But at the gym, it's like I, my mindset is not even focus on the exhibitionist or kind of deal. I just kind of move along. Uh, so. That's my focus on the gym. <laughs> At the dungeon, it's kind of a different set of rules. Oh, absolutely. It's certainly stopping short of leering. Um, but to see and be seen, you know, people dress and undress to be seen. And the chance of going up to somebody and say, hey, do you want to play? Is much more acceptable in a club, a BDSM club, than it is trying to do pickup at the local gym. Mm-hmm. somebody that's dressed hot and paying attention to what they're doing. It's a whole different world. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes they're not even paying attention to what they're doing. They're just out there scoping and flirting. And I'm like, it's the same people every day. Nothing new. Go away. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, let's talk about your podcast a little bit. How, sure. lo- how long has it been around? Uh, it's going on two and a half months. We're going on episode 16 tonight. Um, we're been interviewing a whole bunch of people from surprisingly, we've been stuck on the BDSM topic, but a little bit of the sexual, uh, abuse awareness month, because I definitely want to put out the, the bad of sex. It's just not just the, you know, the fun and kiki stuff there that, you know, not having consent, the drama, things. But I was finding a little bit of a challenge finding people to talk about their organizations and promoting education about sexual assault, human trafficking, rape, that sort of thing. So still in the work in progress on that because I definitely want to advocate that voice that, you know, the more people know about sex education, the better prepare and enjoyment we could have and also um, healing process because one thing we've been very adamant with our daughter and her healing process is making sure we continue the sex education talk because I actually had a girlfriend who just locked her daughter in the closet, not literally, but, you know, didn't talk about it, didn't talk about sex. And when she first had her first sexual experience at the age of, Oh, I want to say almost 1920. Ooh, bad. Just send her over the edge big time. Didn't know how to handle it. And that's the problem when we don't do our job as parents. Mm-hmm. We're really not doing society or, you know, our children in society much of a favor. Oh, absolutely there. And it's just so heartbreaking for me because you can help. I mean, it's not a lot, but, you know, getting the mental health therapy, being open about sex and not being judgmental, also being touchy-feely, cuddly, 
because I've talked to a couple of people who are survivors and they never received that love and affection or attention from their loved ones, from their parents. And now they're having challenges in their own sexuality, trying to be close with someone and just being lovey and cuddly and affectionate because it, it just freaks them out. And I'm like, oh, no, you, that's the best part, you know, especially afterwards or even the foreplay. So cuddle parties is very important nowadays just to get people to feel close and intimate. But again, it's just giving yourself permission just to be healthy sexually. Well, I certainly applaud getting that word out because the people are standoffish when it comes to like a cuddle party. It's like, um, okay, I don't know what the rules are. Um, can I touch? Can I be touched? How far can I go? The, those sorts of things. And I just came back from Frolicon and uh, they had cuddle parties there. And uh, some people had talked to me that they just couldn't quite figure out how it fits. So it's kind of a, a different take on it. Oh, yeah. No, I firmly believe cuddle parties are great in trying to acclimate a person back into intimacy without being sexual. Because you got to realize, sometimes we only go straight to the flesh part of sex. A lot of people don't realize there's an intimate part of sexuality that doesn't require taking your clothes off and really, you know, being, I want to say cannibalistic, to the sense of ripping each other up sexually, but not never once feeling the intimacy. Because with intimate cuddle that's all you're doing you're touching you're feeling being close to somebody but that's kind of a fine line there Mm -hmm. and and some people can't deal with that line and they don't know when they're going to cross it and so you have person a with a, a belief that they can go this far person b that believes that person a is going too far right but i think it always goes back to establishing your guidelines your boundaries and the rules you know, what is your hard limits? If you're saying that I could only be touched up to, you know, my back, my arm, and then go from there, that's fine. It's just like any kind of play that you put in any type from swinging to BDSM, you know, cuddling is just trying to break through the intimacy barriers. That's from my experience, personally. Well, two things I want to chime in. It's communication and understanding. Um, one of the things is if you do whatever it's a cuddle party or start going to swinging, someone at some point will push your limits. They're going to push your buttons. And even if it is a, a swinger party and you're going for that and you know, it, 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 it could be that they're touching places you don't want to be touched. It could be they're trying to put places you don't want things put. Uh, regardless, people are going to put it. And in the beginning, you need to be understanding of, okay, we're not doing that. That's not okay. And you know, a warning after that though, there's both guys and girls who don't get it. I'm not a big drinker and I'm not an advocator of someone who is swinging and drinking because it always leads to someone pushing limits beyond uh, what they do and making mistakes. Because there's always that one guy or girl who gets drunk at the swing club that starts fondling everyone where it's not welcome. We're all looking at each other like, how do we politely stop this? But on the less note, it, it's, a, it's a cuddle party. So if someone does do something, you know, at the low end, let them know, but also don't be quiet. The one, th- the one thing I've heard recently, uh, and I hear it over and over again, is uh, a good dom doesn't like a quiet sub. 
because we need to know when things are right and when things are wrong. And putting BDSM aside, even in a relationship, you need to relate to your partner what's okay and what's not. Don't say, okay, well, I don't like it, but he likes it or she likes it, so I'm going to keep doing it even though it upsets me. Voice the opinion. Communication is the basic here, uh, and we keep going back to it. A cuddle party, you know, here's my boundaries. You can do this, you can't do that. Um, swinger parties, you know, if I'm not attracted to you, you don't get to play sort of thing. There's plenty of drawing, you know, let's verbalize. If you have a problem, put it out there. And if you have consent to give, put it out there. You know, yes, I would like to do this sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that's one thing even in monogamous couples that they forget that communication is essential even in any relationship there. Because when you go into like the polyamories and mixing the BDSM and swinging life, if no one's on the same page of communications, that's just a disastrous train waiting to happen. I just sometimes think the monogamous one derails quicker than the others because they are very animate and talking things through. And when you get into monogamous relationships, you don't have the the fertility of other opinions in it. And so people will stagnate in their sexualities. Somebody was talking the other day about uh, you are, are having sex with your partner, and she says, I don't like this. And so you put a, an X on your list, and you don't ever do that again. But people evolve, and after a couple of years, then maybe she thinks she'd like that. But you've put an X on the list. And since there's no communication, she's not going to get it. He's never going to give it. And she won't ask for it either because he, she thinks that he'll never give in. But he's probably still wanting to do it. So it, it's that whole, like, be quiet, don't tell, don't ask situation that, you know, sometimes ruins a great moment there. He said she thought they shot, they thought nobody, nobody got screwed. But, you know, there it is. But she ends up selling seashells by the seashores. <laughs> Here we are in, in this, this world of relationships, this world of sexuality. And the thing, that, again, the common denominator is we got to talk to each other. If I don't know what the person that I'm attracted to wants and they don't say what they want. And there, there has been times, uh, you know, they look at me and they say, well, you're the dom. You decide. Ooh. Boy, that, that's giving me A, too much power, and B, not giving me a clear map of where they're at. And so, you know, roll the dice and say, okay, you're going to get a number 37. Here it comes. Bend over. <laughs> Which is a little scary because, you know, halfway through a number 37, they're going to go, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> well, that's why you say yellow at the beginning. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, I I know. And that's a lot of times on our podcast, we totally stress the importance of communication. Doesn't matter what topic we talk about in sex, that communication is key, hands down, because how are you supposed to know that your lover's a vegetarian when you're just a carnivore, and that's all you keep ordering, and the poor person is just suffering and not eating? And not communicating. We actually had an episode uh, not not that long ago entitled Non-Monogamy is Not Anti-Monogamy. And we do have friends that are not in the lifestyle. They are monogamous. But they do 
uh, listen to the show. They do talk with us openly about sex and get detailed. And I hate to, I'm so proud of them. It's so nice to find uh, monogamous people who who can talk openly about it, and I think it benefits them. I never want to put out there the fact that, oh, you want to be educated in sex. It means you have to have sex with a lot of people by no means. That is, again, your choice. There are some people that will enjoy it, some people who will shy away from it for whatever reasons. That's personal. But at least be informed. And if you choose to stay monogamous, hey, good for you. I'm glad you're happy. But just know what you're getting into. When I started off in BDSM, I, I had a wonderful partner, and the two of us were exploring together. We were both new we didn't know what we wanted. We didn't even know our roles. I thought I was kind of toppy. She thought she was kind of bottomy. But there was times that we switched back and forth because we had to learn what we were. And to have somebody that is open and allowing to try things can allow you to develop and and create the person that you want to be. And which is why I always say to new people in the scene, don't be so fast to identify yourself as a master or a dominant, or a slave, because you might regret it. And keep it open, keep it loose, keep it fun. But also continuing education is like anything. You, you know, you never know what you might learn out there, especially with podcasts, videos, books. You know, there's so much information out there. I mean, maybe people have not even tried Tantra sex or Kama Sutra, you know. That's different and experimental and fun. For our listeners on the Kinky Cast that want to learn more about your cast, all they have to do is go to the front page of kinkycast.com and click on your link, and they can come over and listen to what you have to say. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. On that note, we're going to have to say goodnight because there's lots of things that we need to do. Yes. The on night a is still night. young. Yes, It's oh. hump day. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Here, let, let me go line up the hump. Exactly. All right, Angelique, John, thank you so much for uh, being on the cast tonight. And I wish you all the best in uh, your cast and getting the word out there because God knows we need more talk about sex because there is a lot of bad information out there. Absolutely. And thank you for all your work. And we appreciate being on your show. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to episode 174 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Ken Marcus, world famous glamour photographer. Thank you.